How's everybody doing? Okay, well, the extra hour of sleep didn't help. How's everybody doing? There you go, much better. Well, we are um, going to dive into God's Word. I encourage you to grab a Bible in front of you. The, the uh, slides uh, are not going to be available for you today, so I want you to get your Bibles out. Phones can count this time. Next time, bring your Bible, okay? Uh, but uh, phones can count. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about phones here in a minute. Um, if you are a guest with us, my name is Brent. I'm the uh, pastor of Family Ministries here. And uh, I want to talk to you today about uh, the next generation. Um, our students, they do mean a lot to us. Our kids, they mean a lot to us. We see everywhere in our city, in our society, in our culture, even where we live contextually, we see that they are lifted um, on high on a pedestal because we target a lot of our effort, a lot of our values upon them. And so we want to um, talk about, about them. They are not, however, the thing to be exalted beyond our Lord and Savior. They are important and they are a vital piece to the church, not just the future church, but the church now. But we don't want to escalate them to a seat that is above the Father. And so uh, how do we do that? And what can we do to help our students and help our kids um, have a lasting faith in Jesus Christ? So um, the last two weeks, well, let's see, this week I was home. Previously, I was at um, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, and I had a really awesome opportunity to sit down with nine other um, pastors in the nation, all over the nation, and um, Dr. Chap Clark, who is a guru in adolescent spiritual development, and uh, we got to just talk for a whole week from 8 to 6 o'clock at night, and we just got to talk about how um, child development and how spirituality in children and in adolescence, how in the world can we aid them in the spiritual development of their and spiritual formation? And how can parents help? How can the church help? How can youth workers, how can children's ministry workers, how can volunteers help in their spiritual formation? And so I want to share some of the findings, some of our conversations uh, that we had a couple weeks ago. Um, I um, honestly, I forgot I was preaching today, uh, and I got back on Monday, and I was like, well, let's just talk about what I learned. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, but here's what you need to know. I, I'm going to put this up front. I believe in the next generation. So much so, so much so, that I have not only dedicated a life to it, okay, 15 years now, um, and look forward to another 15 years. But I, I really do believe in the potential that our next generation has to change this world. So to allow God, excuse me, to change this world in mighty ways. I, I really do. And if you haven't heard me say that before, um, it's surprising because I say it almost every time I'm up on the stage. I want you to know that my wife and I do believe in this next generation. Um, a long time ago, not only when I just started youth ministry, but also when I was in the youth ministry, we used to use what was called overhead projectors. You remember those? Okay. Who still uses those? I mean, some people still use them. In fact, my professor just last week got one out. I don't know why, but I guess the thing wasn't working, but he had one in the classroom. So we used an overhead projector 2016. It was pretty impressive. 
But we used to do those. We used to put song lyrics up there. When I was in the youth group growing up, uh, we used to put lessons up there. Um, some uh, preachers would have it on their podium, right? And they would circle and underline the text as you were learning and as you were uh, growing in the sermon. And so um, that was one of the things that we did all the time. One of the things was really hard for me at the beginning of my ministry was to have kids bring their Bibles, right? That was always, a, hey, bring your Bibles next week, guys. Here, I'll give you a dollar if you bring your Bible. You know, just find something, dust it off, and bring your Bible. And it was still, it just couldn't happen. Nowadays, I have 100% return on my Bibles. Every week, every student has their Bible. In fact, every single week, every single day, the Bible goes into the schools. Phones, right? They got them. So we're talking so long ago, ministry was done so differently today. Today, you have lasers and fog machines sometimes up on stage, right? Okay. You've got crazy things. This is a really, really um, uh, out-of-the-box thing we used to do. We used to sit in a circle. Okay? I used to have students sit in a circle. And I had a ball of yarn. Okay? And we would have students hold the yarn, and we would throw it across the circle to someone else, and they'd have to, they'd have to say something good about that other person or say how they blessed their life or how in the world they, or, you know, how they're cute. I don't know, some, something crazy. But then at the, end of the, at the end of the hour or so, you'd have this web of relationships, and then you get to apply it to how we are connected in the gospel and other stuff. That was what we did. Nowadays, you put yarn in front of the kids, like, what is this? What, what am I, I'm supposed to throw it? What? And then they start taping it up, and they want to play baseball with it, right? It's changed so much. But not only has it changed, it's grown. We have so many more things for our students. We've got Facebook now. We've got social media just at a big all-time craze. We've got more, in fact, we've got more um, chairs and departments of Bible colleges for youth ministry degrees than ever have been. You can get a doctorate in it. And still, we lose 40 to 50% of our students when they graduate high school. That, that number uh, doesn't just come out of my mouth. That is a Fuller Youth Institute uh, statistics number that came out in about 2012. Uh, they researched um, three years after uh, high school where students were and they did a poll of thousands of kids all the way across the nation. And they came up with 40 to 50% of the students walked away from churches that are like this one. Youth groups that are solid. That had a great educated youth minister that was hanging out with them every week. And they walked away from the faith two years after they graduated high school. Not just going to another church down the street. I don't want you to hear that. Walking away from the faith and saying, I'm either not good enough or I don't buy it. Does that make sense? That's just not good enough, right? 40 to 50%. I mean, that would be almost as if I said, all of you on this side, I'm going to pay attention to and commit all my resources to. Sorry, you didn't make it. Try again. Well, you don't have, another, you don't have a second shot, so bummer. And, and th you can't do that, right? I'm, I, that's not good enough. So when I wake up in the morning, I look at these statistics, and I'm like, man, what, what in the world can we do in order to reverse that number? Now, I want you to go to Mark chapter 10. I want to share with you my calling verse. When I, um, before I was ever in youth ministry, my youth minister shared this verse with me. And it stuck all the way through um, college, all the way through my young years. And I'm still young, though. Um, go to verse 13. 
We're going to read this section. It says, And they were bringing children to him, Jesus, that might touch them, and, Jesus, and, the, uh, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, and laying on his hands. This word indignant doesn't just mean, hey, guys, just back off. Let, it, let them come to me. Don't do that. It, it's, it's a word that it's used for a raging bull. I mean, we don't hear stories or sing songs like Jesus like this. We sing, Jesus loves me, right? Jesus loves me. This I know. We don't sing like Jesus was so raging mad. We don't do that. <laughs> but here, he got, he got pretty indignant. But why was he indignant? Because they didn't let the children come. They were hindering children. From coming to Jesus, my question this morning is this. How can we as a church, how can we as a body, usher our children, our students, into the presence of Jesus without hindering them? Unhindered. And there are some things that we discussed a couple weeks ago. There's some sticky factors, if you will, that we, just, that we talked about. In order to our, for our students to stick with the faith, here are some things that we can do to provide that. Now, at the end of the day, it's their responsibility, right? It's their, they have to say, yeah, I'm going to stick with it. But we can lob up a ball, and we can say, hey, catch this. Here's what I want you to know. Our, the spiritual formation of our kids is likened to a very serious game of pitch and catch. Mike, uh, Micah, come on up here. Micah Hutchins is going to be my uh, friend here. Go ahead and catch this guy. Oh. Oh, man, dude. That was awful. All right, it's okay. No worries. Here, take this. That was $1.50. Don't break that, okay? All right. Here's what we're going to do. The spiritual formation of our kids is likened to a very serious game of pitch and catch. Now, we all know a pitch and catch game is pretty harmless, right? I mean, I can, but I could take this ball and I could do a flip of the wrist and I could spin it to where this guy would have to dive for it. He'd have to do something. And I had very little effort right now catching this ball, but I could make it pretty tough for him to catch the ball, right? I could throw it short. I could throw it hard. I mean, I could really beam it in there. I can throw it like 80 miles an hour, you know? Yeah, right. I could do that. Thank you. Hey, give Mike a hand. That was awesome. Thanks, dude. What I want to talk about today is some things, the ways that we can pitch the ball to our students and things that we can give them in order to then receive that faith in a stickier way. Make sense? First thing I want to talk about is this. is the first sticky trait that we as a congregation, or that the, the trend more so is that people who keep the faith, students who keep the faith out of high school, is that they have a healthy and strong relationship with parents, community of faith, and youth leaders or youth workers. Well, Brent, you're like, man, that was... You went to, you're getting your doctorate for that? Are you serious? That, that's it? That's all you got for me today? Wow. The number one thing they saw, a common theme amongst all the people they interviewed that kept the faith, that are still going to this day at 24 years old, whatever it was, was that they had a strong relationship with their parents, their surrounding adult community, and the youth leaders that, that grew them up. It's not rocket science. And let me say, in that particular order, too, parents have always been, 
number one. Well, you say, well, Brent, I don't get them that much. I get them only like three hours a night, then they go to sleep, or they have too much homework, they stay in their room, their music's too loud, or their peers, their friends are always hanging, out, hanging around, and it seems like they're really going in a direction where their friends are influencing them. Yeah, they may be true, but your influence is even stronger than that. And it has been for a long time. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I should hear pages being turned. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read this last week. All the time we read this, probably baby dedications, we read this to parents when they have um, a baby. If a pastor, if I come to the, the, the hospital, sometimes I'll read this verse. But let's do this. I want, you to re- I want us to read it as a surrounding adult community. And I want you to read this. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your city gates. I look for the words mom, dad, or family in those verses, and I don't see them. Here's what I see. It begins with, hear, O Israel, the community, the tribe of Israel. I am talking to you. I am speaking this outwardly to you. Listen up. Our community is to surround these kids and keep the message of the Lord at the frontals of our mind. And then I see it end with what? Post it on your city gates. A communal act. Yes, this is for parents, absolutely. This is for parents that when they sit down with their kids, when they put them to bed, when they rise up, you should always demonstrate what it means to be, have a life centered around Jesus. You're always foc- putting in front, front of your mind what your kid is watching you do. Man, that's scary. Goodness. But the second most important influence in a person's life is us, is the church, is the surrounding adult community. Not not for every kid. The surrounding adult community could mean a whole lot of things. It could mean the people that uh, are around him at school. It could mean the coaches that he surrounds himself with. My head coach was very impactful for me. He's the one who led me to Christ. But for our context, the people in our youth groups, the people in our children's ministries, we are the surrounding adult community that they interact with on a weekly basis. And we need to know the influence is strong and powerful. But here's the cool part about it. Parents, number one influence in the home, a distant second, is the surrounding adult community. You want to know the third one? Youth leaders. Me. The youth minister. The youth pastors, David and Megan Taylor over here, Scott Holtz, Jim Waldron, these guys that are around our students, they're a distant third. Now, before I preach my job away, okay, let me tell you, um, sociologists Smith and Denton, Kristen Smith and Melinda Denton out of Notre Dame did a study in 2010 and their findings confirm what we just talked about, the influential structure, the parents, surrounding adult community, um, youth leaders, workers, and then the fourth is, the, is media, okay? Um, if you didn't know, media we think is pretty powerful. It's a distant fourth, okay? Parents have a lot more say in this round of community, a lot more say. 
Well, Smith and Denton say this. Youth ministries provide two things. One, they provide appealing doorways, or children's ministries provide appealing doorways for people who don't have number one, who don't have parents who are either believers or don't have parents who, are, um, who care much. Or maybe they're absent or maybe they've passed away. And so it creates appealing doorways into the entry point into the kingdom of God. But it also uh, has appealing doorways into the surrounding adult community. So what happens when you don't have that, surrounding adult community comes in number one. And students who they interviewed that did not have believing parents said the number one influence why they, why they accepted faith was the people around them, the church that they got plugged into. You want to hear some good news? Is that our youth ministry today consists of about 12 people that are actually in this room and about 15 to 20 others that you'll never notice and never meet on a daily basis because their parents either don't go to church or they don't go here. The kingdom of God can be spread. This is why it's so powerful. It's such a great potential these students have. These children that we raise up in our children's ministries, they are looking at everything that we do as a body. The conversations that they hear, the, third, the three seconds that they hear on the way to class, they hear it. And maybe you're thinking, man, I, I am, I, I'm done with them. I've, I've graduated my kids. They're, they've got married and, and they're done. Or they have weird blue hair and... They have chains hanging off of them. They don't have a dog with them. What's the deal with that? And you're like, and you're like I'm done with it. No, we, we need you. You're a part of this faith community. Maybe you're saying, I don't even have kids yet. Brent, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I haven't even done that. I can't have kids. You're still part of this faith community. You're still the second strongest influence in these kids' lives. And so when we talk about, hey, can you plug into our children's ministry, what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to step up and be a part of the faith community that says, I want to be a part of a kid's life. And it's strong. It's important. Because parents, we need the church. I need this place. Big time. So that's sticky faith um, tactic number one. I should say, or trait number one. The second one is this. Again, don't laugh at me, but it's so common, common sense. A healthy view of the gospel. That's it. A healthy view of the gospel. When they leave our church, when they leave Centennial Church to go to another one or go off to college, we want them to have a healthy view of the gospel. Now, here's this. What is the gospel? If I asked people to raise their hand in the gospel, we'd probably get a lot of different kinds of things, but one common theme should hopefully rise up, and that would be that Jesus Christ died and rose again. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, that of first importance, give to you of this of first importance, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came, he died, and he rose again. Well, let's go, let's rewind here. The Fuller Youth Institute did that same study three years after high school. They interviewed the people who didn't, who left the faith, who have claimed that they don't have any faith or they didn't left the faith, and they did this. They said, what is the gospel in your opinion? What is the gospel? Articulate it for me. And the two most common responses that came up didn't even include Jesus' name. What it did is it included a list of behaviors, do's and don'ts. It included the, the number one response was to love others. Well, that's great, right? I mean, even Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by what? By loving others. So that's great. You, you nailed a disciple. Good. But what's the gospel? Uh, well, it, it was it's going to church. 
It's, it's a list of do's and don'ts. And so what we want to do is we want to provide them with a healthy view of the gospel. When they leave our church, they don't need to have a gospel of sin management that Dallas Willard says, okay, where you're just managing your sins and you're hopefully, you know, you're, you're, you're sinning, you're forgiving, you're sinning, you're forgiving. What you're doing is, is you're allowing God to look down at you and you can say, yeah, I'm, I've been good this week, God. I've been really good. And uh, so that just means you must be present in my life. You must be a good father. But yet when I, when I stumble, when I fall, when, when, I, when I'm not doing so good, um, God, you're not, you just must not be around. That's a dangerous gospel. And yet when our students graduate from our high schools, when our colleges and whatever, if they have this view of the gospel, the ugliness of the world will catch up to them. And they will realize at one point in the time that I can't get it right, which is where the gospel starts, right? It's where Jesus comes in and says, I got it for you. I did it. Now listen to this. <clears throat> if my understanding of the gospel and its validity to save me is based on my own goodness, ability to, uh, the ability to wear a seatbelt, vote conservative, watch my language, use essential oils, and dress appropriately for church, then I am in trouble. At some point, students raised with this behavior-based gospel come in contact with the ugliness of the world and experience personal and moral failure. And when, it's, and when it happens, a behavior-based gospel leaves a student feeling lost, alone, and hopeless. And they look at the church and they say, I can't go there this week. I did this, this, and this. God, I, I'm, I'm out of the realm of forgiveness. And so they don't go. And so the best thing we can be doing for our kids is we can be giving them a grace-based gospel. They need it because you and me both know we can't live up to it. That's the greatest news. That's what makes it good news, right? Go to Romans chapter 5. Love the way Paul puts it here. Romans chapter 5, we're going to go uh, verses 1 and following. <clears throat> Give you some time to get there. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that... But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God has loved, uh, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The first thing is, is that everybody's going to come in contact with struggles. Everybody's going to come in contact with the ugliness that the world portrays. The world is nasty, and it sometimes seeps in here, does it not? And, and the world gets crazy, and when the behavior-based gospel comes around, it will fail every time because they'll see themselves as not worthy enough, which is a good thing in a, in a, in a grace-based gospel. But a behavior-based gospel cannot stand. And here, it can either produce hope, or it can either produce retraction from the very church, from the vocal church. He keeps going. He says this, For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Man, I love that. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may die or dare to die. 
But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, before you even sang your first worship song, before you held the ball of yarn and threw it, before you went to a youth group or children's ministry, before you did anything, Christ died for you. And so when they have the gospel in tune with a grace-based view, that when they come in contact with the ugliness of the world, they don't think of themselves, they think of grace abounds. They think of, man, God is for me. I can continue. I can truck forward. I can get this. God's got this in my life. I can turn this over to him. And it's important to be sticky. That is an important factor to be sticky. The third one, and there's, there's six total, and I'm, I don't have time for the third, but I picked out the, the three that I like really good. Um, the third one is this, is the freedom to express and explore doubt. This is scary for a lot of us, but it's the space here, the creation of space here to express and explore doubts. Our culture is getting attacked in all different sides. I say our culture, our, our viewpoints, our stances, okay? They're getting attacked at all and our kids notice that. My son, who's eight years old, he'll pick up on things and he'll ask questions. I'm like, man, you you got that from watching a commercial? You, you really? Wow, you're you, you're di- you're getting this, and so waves of transformation of communication are hitting them, and they get it, and they know that some things are under attack. In fact, I'll go so as bold to say, look, our kids will never know a time or a day for the rest of their lives that they will not be categorized for what they take stances on on particular things. Right? What do they believe on, or what they believe on uh, marriage, what they believe on same-sex attraction, what they believe on gender identity, what, what these things, they will be categorized the instant they take a stance on it, and so they're going to be questioning it. I mean, it's who they are. Now, a lot of us, a lot of us try to hush them. And I say that just gently here, okay? I say it gently. But when the questions arise, what do we do? What's our first initial reaction? Whoa! Dude, no, you can't be saying that. Where did you learn that? Hey, shh, be quiet. Ross, can you preach this Sunday on, you know what I'm saying? And so we outsource the spiritual development of our kids to people other than ourselves, the number one influencer in our lives is the people who are around them all the time, mom and dad. And so when they come up with these questions of doubt, I know it's scary. We don't have the question, we don't have the answers all the time, right? And so what we do, oh, well, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be asking that to anybody, okay? You need to calm that down, okay? No, sir. But because we don't have the answer, rather than hushing or bouncing off to somebody else, why don't we say this? You know what? I don't know the answer to that question. I learned that a long time ago. My mom said, if you don't know the answer to something, just say, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. And just admit it. You know what? I don't know the answer to that question either. You know, I don't know. But here's what we're going to do. Let's come along a journey, me and you, and we're going to find out the answer. You know how powerful that is to a kid? 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, Dad, let's go on a journey. Let's do that. Um, now, here are the parameters. As parents, you get to set parameters, right? That's what your job is. That's what you do, right? You get to set parameters. But parameters are going to be we're going to look at the lens of the Bible. That's the parameter. What the Bible says, because the Bible's true, every single time, 100% of the time, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look and see what the Scripture says about it. Okay? And then we might read over here, but then we're going to come right back here and see what the Bible says about it. And we present this idea that we don't have everything covered, but what we do have covered is we've got where the answers are. Okay? That's powerful to a kid. Now, what if it is, I mean, if it's core doctrine, if it's core theology, your, your kid comes up to you, I mean, this is scary. He's like, um, don't believe that Jesus was God. Sorry, don't buy into that. Now, if that's, if that's what it is, it takes a little bit different path, right? Now, the first thing you ought to do, or excuse me, not do, is you shouldn't flip out, okay? Probably more than that, you're probably, they're probably looking for a response in that point, okay? Um, they don't know how much they can articulate it, but being adults, here's what was really cool, is that we have the ability, um, most of us in this room, hopefully, to fully think abstractly, right? So we've got all these things that are going on in our minds, okay? And that we have this opportunity to say, if you believe this, then it, it, you know, A plus B equals C is great, but does A equal C? Well, if sometimes it does. And here's what that means. If you have to believe in this doctrine, then what does that do to this, 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 and this? And it gets personal. And what you do is you take them on a journey of all the different things that that affects, that one thing affects. You're still taking them on a journey, but you're not flipping out, and you're going to listen to why he or she believes that way. You're creating space. Look, are they wrong? If, if they came up to absolutely. They, you can correct, gently correct. You've got to do that. Your parents. Okay? But the number, one, the number one thing we shouldn't do is flip out and then outsource our, our care and our nurture and our, and our correcting. Okay? Um, if we do that, then the church becomes a little safer place. And so when they have these questions of doubt, they're not secluded, and they say, you know what, church is a place that I've been um, historically been able to uh, ask these questions about, and I've been actually able to find answers in Scripture. Um, and then this becomes my guide. And so, yeah, I'm going to continue to go. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, let's start in verse uh, 3. Solomon's talking to his son. He says this, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it for as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is who, this is who the, our kids are. They're developing. They're growing. They're going to ask questions. What we don't want is creating little mini-me's that run around here. Okay? We want them to own their faith, right? If I'm asking you as a parent, do you want your child to own your own faith or do you just want them to be a mimic of, your, of yourself? I want them to own my own faith. I, I want that for my kid. But they have to go through this process of growth and development. And this is what they do. They ask questions. They grow. This is how you do that. It's the best way to do that. And so when we hush, when we seclude, when we push away, we tell them that the church is just really for people who agree with me. Church is really for people who look like me. Um, doubt isn't dangerous. Silence is. Amen. 
Silence, silencing the kid is dangerous, but also not doing anything about it is dangerous too because then they can live in that doubt. And then when you live in that doubt, this scripture doesn't become a rule of life for them. Okay, And they can go down a path that's crazy. Here's what we're going to do. Two questions that I've got for you this morning is how's your, how's, your, how's your pitching? How's your pitching this morning? Are we creating space for our students to express and explore doubt as a, as a family, as a, as a church, in this atmosphere? How, how are we doing in inviting kids to the table? I love it. It's so purposeful what we do when we have kids in this service. And we do it once a month almost. And that's purposeful, guys. We, I love it. And some people may be like, oh, it gets loud and gets crazy. That's really good. That means we see its value in this place. Right. How are we doing with our pitching? I got to admit, guys, I got to admit, there's some times where I put my kids to bed and, man, I look up and I'm just like, man, golly, God, I don't want to mess this up. I, I, I messed up today. I, I did a flip of the wrist today, and I didn't throw, my, throw this, the, the, this ball very good to them. I got, I got, my, I got my anger to get the best of me. Who, who's had that? I, I, I threw the ball to them, and it fell short, and I didn't speak to their mother like I should have, and they saw it. it happens. The good news is, is that God always puts us back on the mound. Man, the devil hit a home run on that one. Ooh, that, was a, that went out of the park, man. It's okay, get you another shot. Right. And they begin to see the grace-based gospel lives within us. Because I hope that we go in there and say, you know what, I, I, I got a little angry today, bud. That's my bad. I, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Man, that's a lesson for me too. The second question is this, is how's your catching? How's your catching? Students, Kids, if you're in this room, how's your catching? We are, we are going to try to pitch the best pitch that we can right down the middle, right where you had that little sticky thing that you're holding. And that's all great and good, and we love to do that. I, that's awesome. All these things that we talked about are really, really good stuff. There's three more really good ones, okay? If you want to read the book, it's called Sticky Faith. Um, but that's all well and good, but guess what? At the end of the day, it's your responsibility to put your hand where you need to put it it's your responsibility to catch it. So how's your catching? Are you open? Or are you closed off to the, what this place is doing? Both are important. We want to provide an atmosphere. We want to provide space for you, for all of us, to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus. And we do that by relationships with people around us. Knowing that in parenting number one, knowing that surrounding adult community, you have a place in that home. I'm going to do that by giving you a place to explore doubt, but also giving you a healthy view of the gospel. Not of sin management, but a grace-based. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you so much, God, and we, um, we thank you for being our Father, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for being mighty in our life. We also thank you for being someone that we can call friend. And I pray that we would never 
elevate one of those two, but that we would hold those in perfect balance. That you are good, that you are faithful, that grace abounds, but you're also mighty and powerful. God, I pray that um, you would help us as a church to grow in these things, that you would help us understand um, how to pitch our faith to these kids, whether they be an infant, newborn, or a student that's 16 years old, that you would give us the wisdom and the accuracy to pitch good pitches, but that you would also, in your sovereignty, allow them to put their hands where it needs to be to catch it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.